everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Birds on the Black podcast. I am Zach Gifford, your host for the hour or so, here today with Joe Schwarz of The Athletic STL and former Birds on the Black writer, now a podcast contributor in some sense. Um, Joe, how are you doing this evening? Doing well. Uh, if you asked me at this time, 24 hours ago, or whenever last night's game ended, um, the 18th, June 18th, I would not have been happy. But and I was almost not happy after the June 19th game. But we, uh, the Cardinals, pulled out a victory. So I'm doing well. Yeah, same way. Um, Carpenter, you know, kind of saved the night here with a. Ninth inning home run after Jordan Hicks, who has been one of the stalwarts of the Cardinals' bullpen over this season. Uh, he came in, inherited Gumber's mess, um, gave up those inherited runners, um, gave up the Cardinals' lead. Uh, top of the top of the inning, top of the ninth, Matt Carpenter comes up, rips one down the right field line, a home run. It was his third hardest hit ball of the year. Um, he only so only two that have been hit harder than that. Um, at 108 miles per hour. Um, that's not what we're really here to talk about, though. Um, hopefully you watch the game. There's going to be plenty of recaps. Uh, so I think what we'll start out with, Joe, uh, this season, within the last couple of months, you were able to get an opportunity to work with a rapidly expanding brand um, in, the sport, in sports media, uh, The Athletic, and specifically The Athletic STL, Athletic St. Louis. Um, you know, I think kind of from the outside, there's sort of a mystique about the athletic. You know, we see a lot of big time writers that have that have been jumping ship and going there. Um, could you kind of give us a little bit of insight on you know the type of people you work with um, and how that experience compares to um, you know your time at, with Birds on the Black, the Intrepid STL, Viva Albertos, and your own site from back when you were probably a pharmacy student, um, the STLCupOfJoe.com. <laughs> Uh, it's actually quite interesting. It's the first time that I've written or researched or produced work um, with an actual editor. Uh, most of what I've done up to this point has been when I'm done writing it, I either schedule it to publish or I hit publish, which is something that I feel like not a lot of people knew about Viva Alberta's part of SB Nation. I don't know if they want me to even share this, but frankly, I don't really care. Um, but there wasn't really an editorial process there. Uh, I was around um, as an editor. I think that was my title with the site. Um, but I didn't really edit pieces unless someone specifically asked me to. I think that was largely because we – at least the staff at Viva Albertos felt confident in each other that it wasn't necessary for us to edit it. We weren't going to put out some crap or we weren't going to put out some work that looked very poor on the site. Uh, so the, the biggest difference with The Athletic is putting something out there or submitting something and then hoping that the editors are okay with it and don't have any questions. Every single time they say they'll reach uh, – so I've written about 15 maybe – 
a little more than that articles for the athletic so far each time they're like oh i'll reach out with questions and they they really haven't so i think that's a good thing i think that goes back to uh my days of i don't want to publish anything or put anything out there with my name on it that I don't think is quality. Um, but having someone professional looking over it has been nice. I don't like send them like B plus work and hope they can turn it into A plus work. I turn in what I think is like a work and hopefully they think that as well. Um, so it's not like I'm making their job particularly hard, but having an editor is is the biggest difference and then the second biggest difference is having a guy like Eno Saris uh tell me what he wants me to write about or bounce ideas off me or or when I have an idea I can bounce it off of him and that's just not something I've had before um I've written with people who really like pitching before but no one quite on Eno's level so that's been a, a whole lot of fun since joining the athletic yeah and you know, I think for um, the St. Louis team, you've you joined a pretty stalwart group of people. Um, so we have Bernie Miklas, um, I think Jeremy Rutherford, if I have that name correct, covers hockey, yep. and then Mark Saxon, Bernie and Mark Saxon covering the Cardinals alongside yourself. Um, how would you say you work with um, those guys, Mark and Bernie specifically, and then you, you mentioned some back and forth you have with Eno. Are those guys involved pretty actively? And is it kind of like an open discourse on the things you guys are talking about? Do you bounce ideas off each other? Or is it more sort of an independent, um, independent work on your own? I think in terms of Bernie, he is very independent. Um, I've reached out to him. He He's a very nice guy, and he, he responds when he has time, but he's incredibly busy with his radio show and and what else he has to do. I mean, he's got to get up at like 3.30 in the morning every morning, so his nights are short, and when I'm up late working on an article, I can't really reach out to him because he's probably asleep. So Bernie is a little bit on his own um but he's he's awesome don't get me wrong he shares our work um he talks about it on his show um but in terms of mark saxon yeah i reach out to him in direct messages on twitter quite frequently basically largely saying hey mark i'm thinking about writing about this what's on your plate um do you have any quotes that can i can use for it um i don't really use any of them yet uh but it's it's been nice to have mark there and whenever he writes a piece i'm like hey mark i'm gonna piggyback off that and he he agrees that it's a good idea um mark's been doing it for quite some time i still think He's probably my favorite of the beat reporters of the Cardinals. I think that's largely because of where he came from in L.A. He was able to be, I don't, I wouldn't say a little bit rougher, but I, I he he goes outside the box a little bit more and I enjoy that. Uh, but I, I haven't been able to work as closely as I want to because I've been having a little bit of issues, um, in terms of access with the Cardinals won't make that much more public than that. Uh, or I won't discuss that much more, but I think when that access or if that access comes, uh, I think Mark and I'll work even closer and I think the Cardinals coverage will get even better than it already is 
Yeah, and we do know that you were able to, I think, get a press pass to uh, Springfield when Alex Reyes was on a rehab assignment out there. And then, correct me if I'm wrong, but you got one game, maybe one or two um, St. Louis games. Yes, I had one one home game, a, a Friday night, a Miles Michael start, and uh, that's that's been it so far. It, so it sounds like these, um, like your position with the Athletic has opened up some doors. I know you've been making some some more regular appearances on radio. Um, on the national level, you've written about David Price. You've written about Max Scherzer. Um, I guess what is, from your perspective, kind of the the most fun thing you're getting to do a little bit more of um, that maybe you didn't have the chance to do when you were writing for a smaller or kind of more Cardinal-centric site? And Shohei Otani. Um, I wrote about him as well, but it's kind of sad because he's hurt now. Um, But I, I don't know. It's just one of those things where when the Cardinals are down and when the Cardinals are not doing very well especially from a pitching standpoint being able to have the opportunity to write about someone else has been a whole lot of fun and being able to reach an audience when i write when i've written those articles on scherzer and otani i get these i get some interaction on twitter that people are like oh where where did this guy come from i'm like i've been i've been doing this for a while um i'm not I wouldn't say I'm great necessarily, but it's it's cool to reach uh, an audience that had no clue who I was because all I've been doing is writing about the Cardinals up to this point. Um, I don't know that that's just the door that I've opened. It's it's interesting because I I'm getting followers on Twitter that I never would have dreamed about. Uh, minor league coaches big league coaches uh front office members it's it's interesting uh to see uh pitching coaches high school pitching coaches i'm getting messages from them about some of the stuff that i'm writing about especially with pitch tunneling and it's a whole lot of fun to be able to do because when i started this years ago that's what i wanted to do that's what that, this was like my end goal um and i'm reaching that goal right now it's pretty i'm gonna have to move it move it a little higher i guess because i've already reached it yeah and hopefully um like you said before you get chances to continually kind of improve and gain more access and maybe dive in um to you know some more deeper things Moving on to some Cardinals-specific topics, since um, this is a Cardinals podcast. Uh, Greg Holland today was activated off the disabled list in the afternoon. Matt Bowman um, moving to the disabled list was the corresponding move. Um, We kind of assumed after Holland had kind of three rough um, rehab, um, rehab appearances down in the minor leagues and some comments from... Uh, general manager Michael Gersh um, that were that I saw on the CardinalNation.com courtesy of Brian Walton. Um, it sounded like Holland sort of forced his way back to the MLB team. It, maybe they liked some of some of the process. Um, maybe they liked some of you know maybe a mechanical difference or something that they saw. But the results weren't really there. He was getting squared up in the minors and he was walking guys. Um, it looked from the stat sheet it looked very similar to what was happening in his first go-around in St. Louis earlier in April. Tonight, though, um, you know, he looked fantastic. He threw 
Um, a clean one-two-three inning. Uh, Dave McLaughlin said it was only his fourth one-two-three inning of the season. He featured three pitches, his fastball around 93, 94 miles an hour, which was consistent with where he was earlier in the season. Um, the slider that we've kind of come to know, and then also a curveball. And he really mixed those, you know, it was only a handful of pitches, about 15, but he really mixed up those three pitches pretty well and kept a balanced repertoire um, through, you know, this inning, as opposed to what we saw earlier in the season where he was predominantly just fastball slider. Uh, Joe, I know you kind of look through the pitch FX data. I know Brooks Baseball spits out some early kind of kind of early data once the game concludes. Did you see anything that Greg Holland was doing in that data, or you know anything that you saw mechanically um, that would suggest that he he might be you know back? Um, I mean, obviously the sample size is incredibly small. My dad would be listening to this. He would say, there you go. You got your your sample size comment in. Um, he always makes fun of me whenever I'm on the radio. I always say it. But not particularly did I know. I mean, the one thing I did notice, and I don't know if this is like a thing that the Cardinals are – or Mike Maddox is telling their pitchers, but people, the pitchers that are throwing sliders are throwing them a lot harder now um, than they used to be. I, my, my piece on Jordan Hicks slider development was about how he was throwing it harder. And a quick glance at the data from today, it looks like once again, Holland was throwing his slider harder than he normally does. In fact, it topped out at 90.1 miles an hour. Um, prior to tonight, he was throwing it around 86, 87. So I think that's something to look at. I think if anything, uh, that tells me that he's healthy in terms of both his arm health and his lower body. He's able to drive into that slider and, and fall off the mound a little bit to be able to to get that type of velocity on it. So, like I said, it's only 13 pitches, um, so we've got a long way to go before we know. But I, I was... I'm cautiously optimistic and I really liked what the slider was doing. I think it's going to be interesting to see the the data tomorrow um, when it's combed through and, and even see like spin rate data, which on sliders is kind of useless, but it's going to be interesting to see where, where he is. But um, I'm pleasantly surprised if we've got, uh, and I'm going to have a piece on Austin Gomber, John Brebbia. If we've got Greg Holland, that's going to be something in the bullpen. We got Bud Norris. We have Jordan Hicks. I mean, the bullpen's suddenly looking a whole lot better than it did just a week ago. Yeah, I think for most of us, you know, we look at the bullpen and we saw for most of this season only one or two reliable arms, depending on what you thought about Jordan Hicks early on. If Hotland could be another guy that, you know, we know Matheny would probably use him as a bit of a crutch in the late innings, but if Holland can be somebody who can go out and perform like he did, even for most of last year, that'll that'll save some that'll save some games. It, it might not be perfect. He might not necessarily be pitching his best guys in the most important spots if you're looking at leverage. But if he can get us, you know, guys that he can rely upon in the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning, who on any given day we'd be comfortable with, then it's then it's going to be hard to argue with some of the decisions that he makes back there. Because I think if he 
is given a good version of Greg Holland, the version of Bud Norris that we've seen so far this season, and especially the recent version that we're getting of Jordan Hicks, if we can have that for most of the rest of the season, it's going to be really hard to mess up the late innings. And I think kind of the Cardinals' um, success in closing some of these games out where their starter leaves the game with a lead, hopefully they start you know, taking more of those games, closing them out, and, and banking the wins. Um, some not as good news resulting from this game. Luke Weaver, again, um, he didn't necessarily, you know, it wasn't a terrible outing in some sense. He did give up four runs and I think five innings, um, a couple of home runs. What stuck out to me were the walks. Um, so he had four walks today and also added in a, a hit by pitch for good measure. So gave out five free passes tonight. Um, that gave him three games this year where he's walked at least four people um, and put, you know, given a free pass, including hit by pitches, um, at least five times in those three games. In his minor league career, which was 53 games long, um, which isn't super long, but it's a it's a pretty good sample size for this. Um, he had zero games where he issued four or more walks, and even in his limited time in the minor leagues that we've seen over, or in the major leagues, sorry, over the last couple of years that we've seen him, he's only walked four guys once. Um, you know, I think when he came up, there was some criticism that he tended to nibble at the edges of the zone and maybe didn't trust his stuff enough. Um, is that kind of what you're seeing out of him lately, or maybe is there something more to his struggles? Um, I think so part of it is he, yeah he's nibbling a little bit he's having trouble commanding the fastball um in my opinion at least um what was the pitch uh the one santana santana had a home run tonight i believe he yachty was calling for the fastball up and in and he got it up, but he it, he left it right over the middle of the plate, um, and I think that that just that is like a microcosm of what we've seen uh, this year that we didn't see last year in terms of he was he was able to like knock a beer can over or a soda can over um, last year it seemed like with his fastball and he's not doing that this year, and I think command statistics would actually back that up. There's that's available on baseball prospectus and Eno Saris is, is developing one too. I don't know if it's publicly available yet. Um, but his, his command is down and that's worrisome. And why is it worrisome? Because he doesn't really have that third pitch. Um, he's toyed with a cutter. He's toyed with a curveball. Uh, Fox Sportsman West showed that image of him with Bob Gibson gripping a slider. Uh, clearly, that's not been anything yet either. Um, so when his command and when he's nibbling uh, isn't working, because nibbling and getting getting that corner is fine, but you have to hit that corner. You can't miss it. And and something that I've talked about with Daniel Beatty of 216 stitches over the offseason was Luke Weaver, despite having pretty high strikeout rates, has always kind of had an average to below average swing strike rate. So I think what we're seeing this year is basically 
with the command down and and with the swing strike where rate where it's always been he's he's walking more hitters and he's coming into more hitters and they're and they're having more success against him and that and that's pretty worrisome honestly um it, it makes you wish alex reyes was healthy but he's not so we gotta just roll with him uh for the foreseeable future right and there was a piece written over the offseason, so you weren't the only one to notice that swinging strike rate um, and how you know how low it is relative to his overall strikeout rate. Um, so the swinging strike rate in every year that he he's been up in the major leagues has been under 10 percent. It's been between nine and 10, which is okay, but it's below average. Um, and Alex Chamberlain of Rotographs uh, this this past offseason wrote a piece you know on finding reasons to doubt Luke Weaver. Um, that's a pretty good uh, a pretty good summary on some of the issues you know that you know that there were you know, kind of in the deeper peripherals. So looking at something beyond fielding independent pitching and strikeout rate versus walk rate and things like that. Some things that are even kind of better indicators of that sort of talent. Uh, there were some issues there. He, he highlighted the swinging strike rate. He highlighted um, the ground ball rate and, you know, some issues that he might have with home runs uh, coming up in future seasons. And we've seen that play out a little bit. Um, not too bad so far yet this year, but something to watch definitely. Uh, regarding the command, um, you know, I, I haven't looked too much at the at the command statistics available on, um, on Baseball Prospectus. I know I've seen Eno Saris write about, I think it's Command Plus, which is a Stats Inc. or somebody like that um, metric that they came out with. I do, I have, however, looked at his um, edge percent according to um, according to StatCast on Baseball Savant. And there he is sitting, he's, he's about top 10. I think he's top 10. I, I looked at this like a week ago, so it won't be updated for his last start or two. But the last time I checked, he was, I think, top 10 in percent of pitches that were on the edge of the zone. But he's also average at leaving pitches over the middle. So he, so there's, there's kind of nothing in that area between the middle and the corner. So, you know, corner pitches, you don't always get called strikes. Um, that It's kind of a 50-50 area. He's not – what that means is he's not putting pitches – in areas over the plate where he is likely to get a called strike, but also not likely to give up hard contact. And I, I think that's kind of what I'm seeing. Um, and, and I think as a result, maybe he is nibbling a little bit more than he should be, um, it, you know, if he's not able to kind of hit the spots that are going to be, you know, 90% definite strikes. Um, and so he leaves those over the middle or he leaves them off the plate. I, I don't know. I I want to see him develop a third pitch. I think you mentioned that. Um, it, it, it's hard to say where he's where he's going right now. Like like we said, the FIP is okay. Um, even after today, it's at 4.07, which you know, as a fourth or fifth starter, is perfectly fine. Um, but but there's you know even reasons to to doubt that production. I think looking looking a little bit deeper. And then another thing, um, a little bit more about just his ability to locate pitches is I wrote earlier this year about his changeup. Um, his changeup is was always hailed as above average to plus in the minor leagues, largely because he plays it off. The actual changeup isn't that great, but playing it off of a, a very well-commanded fastball makes a changeup better. Uh 
And the changeup is primarily a weapon. He uses it as a weapon to righties and lefties because, as you just said, he doesn't have a third pitch. But its main use is down and away to lefties. And if you pull up the heat map for him, uh, basically this year compared to last year, which is what I noted in at the beginning of the year, but the sample size was so small, he's still like all you have to do is open them up in two different tabs, the 2017 heat map versus lefties, 2018 heat map versus lefties uh, with the change up. And it's, it's a deviation closer to the middle of the plate. Um, it's still down, which is fine. Um, but it, I mean, you're, if you're missing in the middle of the plate, that's a problem. Uh, especially with a pitch like the change up because they're just going to sit on that. Yeah, so it essentially it's, becomes a batting practice fast. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it's something to look at, and hopefully it can get better going forward. So I think using that is a little bit of a segue. Um, Cardinals pitching, I think I saw on Twitter, um, over the last seven games, I forget who said it, but over the last seven games, St. Louis pitching has given up at least four runs in each of those games. Now, if they were giving up just four runs, that's not too bad. Um, and yesterday they had the extra innings to kind of, you know, tack on a little bit more to raise the average. Um, but giving up four runs a game isn't a recipe to win most of your games. That's probably a recipe to go about 500, uh, maybe a little bit worse, depending on how your offense is. So now that we're approaching the trade deadline season, um, you know, Kelvin Herrera was traded. It's an early trade, but it shows a willingness for teams to kind of act quickly if they if they see something they like. So now that we're kind of in or approaching deadline season, what do you see as the Cardinals' biggest weakness between you know the offense, the defense, the rotation, and the bullpen? And then how would you address that? And what do you see the Cardinals doing over the next month and a half? Um, this is really kind of weird that I'm saying this, but – with the way Reyes is and the way that Wainwright didn't end up being anything um, this year, I, I actually I'm going to look towards the starting rotation as my big. It's not a weakness right now. People are going to be like, Joe, you're an idiot. That's fine. But we're also only 71 games in the season and we're getting to we're going to get to a point later on this year. If, if these are the five guys that the Cardinals are running out there that they're going to be reaching innings limits and I don't know who's going to be there to fill those spots. Like I think an Austin Gomber can do it, but now he's got to go like do two to three weeks in the minor leagues to get stretched out again. Uh, Ponce de Leon might be able to, to fill in a little bit. Um, but I don't think he's very good personally. Uh, I don't think, this is the year for Dakota Hudson to make the leap to the starting rotation. So I think if we're looking at a long-term or the big picture, which we should considering the team hasn't made the playoffs in two years, I think the biggest issue is the starting rotation largely because we're not even halfway through the season and there's some arms that are going to, if they're not restricted, they're going to wear down. Um, 
We still don't know about Carlos. I was on the Kevin Wheeler show the other day. I'm I'm not sure he's healthy, um, given that some of his movement profile is down. So what would I want to do? I don't know. Uh, I haven't even looked at it. I'd like to go out and acquire like a four or a five. Uh, do I see the Cardinals doing that? No. Um, do I see the Cardinals doing anything? No. Uh, so, but that's just where I'm at in my view of the Cardinals at this point, uh, where I, I just don't have confidence in them addressing any needs because I think year in and year out lately, it's been whoever's hurt. Oh, they're going to come back. That'll be our move. So I don't know. I think they need another starting pitcher. Uh, but I don't see I with all the talk of their starting rotation depth. I just don't see them going out and acquiring a guy. It might be a little bit of a surprise here. I'm going to, I think, agree with you on the starting rotation being a weakness going forward. It's been a huge strength over the first probably two months and maybe some change, two months, we'll call it two months and change of the season. Um, but I talked with this uh, with Daniel Shoptaw and Alan Medlock uh, just this past weekend on Meet Me Unusual. I'm really concerned that we've already seen the best stretches that any of these guys are going to have all season. Carlos Martinez, before he got hurt, had a 1.7 or so ERA. Miles Nicholas probably isn't going to pitch like a Cy Young guy the whole season, and you know, we saw him get beat up a little bit yesterday. Uh, Jack Flaherty, I don't, his ERA, I think, is at 2.7. Is it reasonable to expect a guy you know, with kind of his limited experience and a history of um, kind of struggling the first time he sees a league? Is it, you know, are we really going to expect him to even keep an ERA, say, under 3.5 from this point to the end of the season? Um, Luke Weaver, I guess he hasn't had a good stretch yet, but I don't know that he's that good anyways anymore. I used to say, I used to tell you I would take him over Flaherty all the time. I was very, <laughs> I, I, eat, I have to eat my words on that one, I think. Um, and then Michael Waka, he's, Michael Waka, is he, I know, I know we hate pitcher wins, or maybe we don't hate them. We like pitcher wins, but we don't necessarily think they're super useful. Um, he's like eight and one or something like that. Um, I guess he, he just lost eight and two, I think. Eight and two, yeah, the game to Lester, that's right. Um, and he's got an ERA at about two six five, I think. Um, I guess it maybe it got blown up after that last outing. So, you know, but going into that last start, his ERA was under three. Um, he's and especially him. He's done this before, where he has stretches um, where he looks very good. Craig Edwards over on Fangraphs pointed this out. He has a stretch every year where he flashes that ace potential we saw in 2013, and then by the end of the year, he looks like, you know, kind of just rotation filler. Um, how much of that is due to his shoulder condition? Um, it's hard to say. Uh, I would guess probably a lot of it. Um, but I think to count on these five guys to continue giving a similar level of production is, is silly. Um, like you said, innings limits are going to be an issue. Luke Weaver, as he get, you know, Luke Weaver has never thrown a ton of innings in the season. Jack Flaherty hasn't thrown a lot of innings in the season. Miles Michaelis, he threw full seasons in Japan, but they get more rest days and their season's shorter. Um, yeah. Carlos Martinez has reached 200 innings once, but with the health issues, can you, you know, what's he going to look like around that 160, 170 threshold? Um, I, I think there's a lot of questions, and I think. 
if you go out and get a a number three, a number four, a number five starter, you can move one of these guys to the bullpen and maybe bolster what's been a, that side of the of, of the pitching staff that's been a weakness so far, while also kind of hedging um, hedging your bets on what these guys are going to do the rest of the season. So I think I'm with you that that's what I would do. What I think the Cardinals are going to do, um, and this is based on something I wrote today, I really don't think the Cardinals have many tradable assets, um, especially if the goal is to make the wild card this year or next. Um, so I don't think they're going to make any big moves. They don't have any really headline prospects headline prospects anymore now with uh, Alex Reyes you know, back on the DL with, with a season-ending, um, I think it was a lat surgery. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I, I think what they're going to do is they're going to go for the bullpen Band-Aid. Um, and I think that's all they can do. I took a quick look at guys that, you know, might fit the bill. We know that the Cardinals aren't going to go out and go out after somebody like Brad Hand. You know, it, even somebody of Kelvin Herrera's quality, they probably weren't going to go after. So I kind of tried to find those second-tier guys that had good peripherals and really only had a year to a year and a half remaining on the contract. I think that kind of fits – what we've seen these, what we what we have seen this front office do over the last few years, um, you know, the, Ryan Presley over on the Twins, he's in arbitration. He's got a year and a half left. Um, they're falling. They had a little bit of a hot stretch lately, but um, you know, the American League wild card is running away from them, and the Indians are starting to run away from them too. Um, so he might, you know, he's a guy that maybe, depending on the situation, could be moved. Um, Chris Stammen, I think, of the Padres, kind of similar situation, except the Padres are actually bad. Um, Tyler Clippard on Toronto, he's got half, you know, just, he's just under contract this year, and he's kind of doing what he's always done. Um, he's really kind of a seventh-inning guy. And then Brad Brad Brack of the Orioles, who's kind of always been the number two guy to Zach Britton there, but um, is, again, having a pretty good season, a little bit down from his normal standard, I think. Um, so I don't know. I don't, I don't want to go too much into that because it's June nineteenth. Um, those are some pretty boring guys, Zach. Those those guys oh, kind of they yeah. kind of fit your your personality. So I see why you like them. Well, see, I, it's not that I like them, but they you know they all are running strikeout rates of at least twenty five percent or higher. They aren't headline names, so they're not going to require a guy who's a top fifty prospect. Um, they might not even acquire a guy require a guy who's a top 100 prospect um you know i think if maybe if ryan helsley or dakota hudson or i don't know like oscar mercado or randy or rosarena if one of those guys is the headliners to get one of these four these four relievers i think i'm okay with that um and if if the cardinals are going to do something I think that's what that's the kind of move they're gonna make. You're gonna hold on, hold on. I, I don't ever argue on these things, but you're gonna trade and now Helsley's got shoulder fatigue, so um let's let's dial back on that because no one's gonna take that right now. But you're gonna trade Dakota Hudson for I Mercado, that's fine. I, I, I whatever. But you're gonna trade Dakota Hudson for one of those really boring relievers? going to take something right like they're not just yeah. gonna, they're not just going to hand them to you i agree but you just saw what it took to get kelvin herrera who's a legitimate reliever 
And I don't think there was a Dakota Hudson type quality player pitcher in that deal. Maybe I'm misevaluating a little bit, but I guess my concern with Hudson and what kind of in my mind makes him a little bit expendable is just the fact that he doesn't strike guys out and he's not as stingy with his walks as I would need him to be to be running a strikeout rate. Uh, what's he at? It's 18%. If you're going to do that, you need to be striking out in the minor leagues probably less than 5% of guys you faced, and he's never had a stint in the minors where he's done that. Um, you know, his his best strikeout rate was, looks like, 25%, but that was in very, very limited innings. Um, when he first came up, that was in uh, when he was in Palm Beach as a reliever, I think. Um as a starter across double-A, triple-A, and then triple-A again this year, um, the best strikeout rate he's posted is 18%, um, and the lowest walk rate he's posted is 7.1. That's not going to get it done, and I know he's a big ground ball guy. Um, you know, maybe maybe there's something to that, but I, I just don't trust that he'll be able to continue limiting the contact against him when he faces major league competition. It's one thing to do it against minor leaguers. Um, Especially for a guy, you know, he it's more impressive now that he's in AAA. But doing it in the lower levels of the minors, you know, as a, as a guy who had a pretty advanced repertoire um, for the leagues he was in, or, or at least, you know, he was a little bit advanced in age for some of his early stints, um, it, it just it isn't that impressive to me. I like him. He's He's been really good this year, um, at least ERA-wise, but, you know, his – his FIP down in Memphis is 3.84. His ex-FIP is 4.67. Um, I got to see more. He's got to start striking guys out, and it it hasn't happened. So I guess if he's what it takes to get somebody who you know might make a little bit of a difference at the deadline, I'm fine with it. Okay. I'll remember that. Yeah, again, I, again like Weaver, I might look like a big idiot, um, but that's fine. <laughs> uh, so I guess... We don't want to go too long here, so we'll just cover a couple more things. Um, We have a section of questions and answers that we got on Twitter coming up. But before we get to that, I just wanted to talk about um, some of the guys in the bullpen who maybe we don't hear as much about, um, the guys who aren't the big names. um, The guys like John Brebbia, uh, Sam Tuivalala, Mike Myers, and Austin Gomber. Um, you know, they've been so far this year kind of a key part of the season, whether that's been good or bad. Um, I think for these guys, it's been mostly good. Um, you know, I think a lot of the struggles that we've seen from Cardinals relievers have come from guys who, you know, are sort of the established, you know, bullpen stars like Brett Cecil and Holland and Luke Gregerson. That's where the struggles have come. These guys have, you know, been going back and forth from the minor leagues a couple, you know, at least two back and forth from the DL a little bit. Um, among those guys, who do you see having kind of the most staying power to to maybe be a major league contributor over the next three years, whether that's out of the bullpen or maybe Gomber in the rotation? Um, so who do you think has the most staying power? And then is there anything, I guess, for that guy? Do you see, like, what's something to watch for them? Kind of what's the difference maker for that guy? Uh, I mean, out of the bullpen, um, 
out of those guys. John Breby is my guy. Uh, I really like what I see out of his fastball and his slider. Um, I think out of the bullpen, you really only need two pitches. Uh, I think he's shown the ability to strike out and miss bats with both his fastball and his slider. So having two swing and miss pitches is, is huge. Uh, so over the next three years, I, I think he's the guy, um, that I have the most faith in. Uh, it's kind of funny because I feel like, excuse me, I feel like the Cardinals haven't shown that much faith in him, but I think he's, I mean, he's not gonna, he's not gonna be an all-star by any means, but I think you, you don't need to have a, a bullpen of all-stars. You need some solid guys. And I think that's what John Brebbia is. Uh, I like what I've seen out of Sam Tui Vilala, Vilala, whatever. They keep changing the way they pronounce it. But I I worry about his velocity swings. Uh, I don't see him being <sighs> – Whenever he's he, they don't really have a role for him because they they bring him in for some innings and then they bring him in for multiple innings. Whenever it's a multiple inning outing, I I can't stand him. Uh, I'm obviously everyone follows me on Twitter. I'm a big Austin Gomber fan. Uh, I'd love to see him as a starter though, um, because I think he's his repertoire is a little bit limited out of the bullpen. He's throwing it a whole lot harder tonight. He was throwing 95, 96 miles an hour, which is huge. Uh, playing off that curveball, which I argue and some people on Twitter disagree with me, but I argue it's the best curveball in the organization right now. Uh, but of those, that list of guys, um, I'm not even going to talk about Mike Myers. I think you included him. Uh, John Breby is the, the guy with the most staying power, I think. And I think the X factor is Austin Gomber because there's an untapped potential um, out of what he can do as both a, a starter. I don't know if you can like convert him into like a, a hybrid pitcher where that role six sounds a little too complex for Mike Matheny, but a hybrid pitcher where he has spot starts and then like high leverage situations. I don't know. Um, but what, what about you out of those four? Yeah. I, I think for me out of, I, I, I'm gonna. You're probably not gonna like my stance on Gomber. I think he has the potential to be like a number five-ish type yeah. guy. Um, but I, I, I think he's probably gonna end up in the bullpen because for one, you can always use a lefty out of the bullpen, and it seems like you know right now we don't really have one at all. And if yeah. his curveball is that good, and you know based on the limited sample that I've seen, it does look like a really good pitch he might just be best off going to the bullpen and throwing that 60% of the time. Um, yeah. So I think that's kind of where I, you know, I think Brebbia long-term, he's, he throws about 95 miles an hour. Um, he sequences the slider pretty well with that, you know, like, like you go into tunneling a lot. They come out of his hand on the same plane. I think he matches release points pretty well. Um, his fastball, he's a relatively – high spin rate guy which helps his fastball live up in the zone um, and it does seem like he likes to work up in the zone with the fastball more often um, than some of the other guys we see um, his heat map you know most of of that is in the upper half the one thing i worry about is you know his whiff rates um on his fastball it's good this this year he's getting about 15 percent uh 15 of his four seamers are generating a whiff um the slider's down at 12 percent though um, and like 
for another reference, Mike Myers, who I really don't like, um, who you really don't like, um, his slider whiff rate is 11%. So John Brebbia's slider, at least this year, only has a 1% uh, advantage over what Mike Myers is throwing. Last year, the slider was more at 15. Uh, I mean, that's respectable, but it's, it, it's not huge. Um, I think... Like you said, he, he's not going to be an all-star, but if you can give, if you compare a good fastball with an average slider, it, you have a guy who you can pretty comfortably throw in the sixth or seventh inning of, of, of games, or maybe you know in the eighth, ninth, depending on depending on the score, um, and, and be pretty happy with that. I think yeah. what we run into right now, at least in, in the current picture, is that Mike Matheny really only trusts one, two, or three guys. Um, and, and based on the performance this year, really, that's probably all he should be trusting. But the issue is you, you start throwing Jordan Hicks in games where you have a three-run lead or you're two runs behind, and it doesn't really matter. That's a spot where John Brebbia should be seeing a lot of time. Um, I, hopefully, you know, he starts gaining some confidence. Hopefully, Austin Gomber continue, um, you know, can gain a little more confidence. He gave, you know, he was credited with two runs today. I think it put his ERA up 4.5. 4.5, and then I think his FIP and XFIP are both a little bit high. Short sample, a lot of things, you know, that those over the innings he's thrown, those mean nothing. Um, My English teacher would hate you right now. You just said short when it was should have been small. Sorry. Continue on. Uh, my former editor at Redbird Rants um, did not like my use of less and fewer. So yeah. Yeah, English was not my strong suit. Um, I <laughs> put it that way. So getting to our Q&A section, uh, we did get one more that I can tell on Twitter while we were while we were on. So we'll go through that too. Um, but first off, from uh, Jonathan Stout, um, at Stout underscore Jonathan on Twitter, he asks, which of the current prospects do you foresee having the largest impact in approximately one year, so one year from now, uh, provided that there are no major trades? So the first thing we have to do here is kind of define who we see as a prospect. A guy like Harrison Bader, I would say no. Um, Carson Kelly, not really. Jack Flaherty, Luke Weaver, definitely not. Um, Alex Reyes, even, probably not. So I think, you know, we start getting into, we have to kind of define that. I think, you know, Tyler O'Neill, Dakota Hudson, Ryan Helsley, those type of guys that have seen either, you know, extremely limited or no MLB time. Um, I think those are the guys we've got to limit our search to. So with that kind of criteria, um, you know, which, who do you see being the biggest impact prospect in June of 2019? Um, it's really tough, honestly. I'm going to go with, and, and there, I need to, I guess, require a disclaimer here or, or a qualifier is if Ryan Helsley's shoulder health is really just fatigue and not something else, uh, he's going to be the guy uh, because I think the bullpen there's going to be a lot of and he's going to be a, the guy as a bullpen impact and i and i understand that a position player or a starting pitcher is going to have a better chance of actually providing an impact in terms of value in terms of wins above replacement but 
since it's a, a pretty open question, I'm going to answer it in my own way. But I think if he's healthy, uh, I think he's got the stuff to be a shutdown reliever, kind of what we we are seeing out of Jordan Hicks lately. And I think with Bud Norris probably moving on, with Greg Holland definitely moving on, uh, with Tyler Lyons, I, I think he might be moving on at some point. Uh, Luke Gregerson, I know he's got another year, but unless he's somehow magically gains two to three miles an hour on his fastball, I, I don't. They they might be willing to cut ties with him pretty soon. That's four guys out of the bullpen that are gone next year. That uh, there's going to be a lot of opportunities for someone to step up. And if Ryan Helsley's healthy, I know that I have to have include that qualifier. He's going to be the guy that I think is the biggest impact at this time next year. It's hard to disagree with that. I guess um, that I'd probably have to go with Helsley too. Um, I don't. I think Dakota Hudson, if he's going to make the majors, he's going to be better as a starter than a reliever, um, in my opinion. You know, as a reliever, especially that strikeout rate's not going to work. Um, you know, Tyler O'Neill. There, there's a little bit of a logjam in the outfield. He's definitely passed up um, right now by Harrison Bader. He's not going to play over Tommy Pham or Marcelo Zuna next year. Um, you know, I, I thought about saying Andrew Kisner um, just because I think that as Molina gets into another season, that eventually that backup catcher role is going to have to be more important. Yeah. And I, I, I really wonder if by next year, if he's passed up Carson Kelly on the organizational kind of, you know, the organizational chart. Um, I Talking to Kyle Reese um, early in the year, it sounded like maybe Kelly had lost a little bit um, defensively. Uh, I don't know if he would say the same now, but it was something that Mike Matheny pointed out in spring training, um, that he was a little bit slower um, blocking balls. He was a little bit slower getting throws off. I don't know how accurate that is, and I don't know if it would still be true now. Um, but, you know, I, I, I do remember there were a couple times where he, you know, he got in and he mishandled a few pitches. Um, I, don't, I don't think he caught anybody stealing. I don't know how many people tried. Um, so I kind of wonder if, you know, if next year – if maybe the backup catcher needs to play two out of you know, every seven or seven games or so, might they use Kisner to kind of get a bat in the lineup? Um, and if he's not that much worse a defender than Carson Kelly, maybe he sees some playing time. I don't know. He's definitely somebody who would use over Kelly just because of the offensive side of it. Yeah, but don't look now. I mean, Carson Kelly, um, he's having a pretty good year offense. I mean, obviously, don't look at his major league numbers, but he's having a pretty good year offensively, um, especially for a guy that is known for his glove. And, um, yeah, I, I heard those the the quotes from Matheny during spring training and I noticed it during some of the games not gonna lie but if you watch just one game of Andrew Kisner if you just watch two innings of Andrew Kisner catching behind home plate uh you think Tony Cruz is a gold glover right now um and that's worrisome to me um love is bat 
love that love the his potential but he stabs at the ball so 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 much um and that's just worrisome to me and i'd rather have a guy especially of kelly's frame like there he's got to grow into his body to a point where he's gonna have some power um you gotta think that maybe he won't whatever i've i've been wrong before but i especially out of the catcher position defense is so important to me and i really like i still think kelly's ahead of kisner um even with his like prospect shine worn off a little bit and i will say um you mentioned kelly's season so far in triple a one thing that is at least a little bit encouraging from my perspective um, is his his ground ball rate has gone from basically mid to upper 40s um, down to this year it's at 42% last year and the year before it was at 37 um, and 38 when he was in AAA so maybe he's getting some more balls in the air maybe that'll be a step towards unlocking some of his power Um I do worry about with hitters, uh, you know, it's been an issue for them at the major leagues. I, I feel like when they're overmatched, they tend to put more balls on the ground. Um, yeah. I, it, you know, Carson Kelly, when he's been in the majors, has run, a, you know, ground ball rates over 50%. Um, in the minor leagues, you know, he used to be pretty high. Now it's a little bit lower. Um, but right now it's a little bit, you know, it's more line drives than fly balls. His fly ball rate in triple, triple A is actually pretty far down. Um, so I, I don't know. We'll see. I, I think a lot of a lot of people prefer their backup catcher um, to be kind of defensive minded. I think probably because it's a little bit, you know, maybe you smooth over some issues. You know, with the, if a pitcher has to pitch to their backup, um, maybe you smooth over some issues by at least giving them somebody who they know can handle what they're going to throw them. Um, I, I don't know. We'll see. But like I said, I, w- I would say Helsley, but I would s- I'm going to guess Kisner is a close second. Yeah. So our next one, um, we have two more we want to get through. We can do these probably pretty quickly um, from Master Chaser on Twitter. He said, there are a number of bad contracts um, referencing Brett Cecil, Greg Holland, and Dexter Fowler, who combined are owed, at least you know from their contracts are worth a combined, I think, about 100 30 million dollars um so of those contracts which one is the easiest to stomach and then which one of those three is the most likely to turn it around while they're in a st louis uniform um shoot i didn't like the dexter fowler contract from day one uh i felt like it was kind of a desperation signing i felt like it was kind of like the mike leak signing where they felt like they needed something to be done um so they did it and they paid probably below what the player expected but still a pretty hefty price so I, I can't stomach that, and I don't think he's going to turn that around because nothing of what he's done. Now you can tell me that I'm wrong. Nothing of what he's done shows shows me he's going to turn it around. He he had value on the bases. That's not been a huge impact this year. Uh, I thought he'd have more value as a corner outfielder. That that's not been the case either. Uh, I thought his 
on base percentage was going to always be there essentially because he's got one of the best batter eyes i think one of the only guys that i would and this is eye test uh would think is better as carlos santana and that hasn't really panned out either so he's at the bottom of my list uh brett cecil is probably the guy that I think he might turn it around. I think he's got he's he's got the stuff to be able to get hot, and I think he might just do that at some point. I don't think his fastball is anything um, anymore, unfortunately. But that curveball, when it's on, it, it's a filthy pitch. So that's the guy that I'd probably say I have the most most confidence turning it around. But I don't think. Uh, Wait, did we have Greg Holland in on this? Yeah, Holland. Yeah, we. Yeah, but that that see, I don't I don't even consider that either because it's just that's the easiest to stomach. That's a one year deal, so yeah, I think me. Let's put Holland and Cecil at equal of where I'm equally okay with stomaching their deals. I think Cecil's is like seven years or seven million a year. Holland's fifteen million. Uh, I'm considering a sunk cost right now, honestly. Um, So stomaching it pretty equal between those two. And I'd say it's pretty equal. And I seeing them being able to turn their seasons around. Yeah. I I don't want to repeat too much of what you said. So I'll just get to mine. I think Hollins is the easiest to stomach. It's one year. Um, It was money that wasn't going to be spent anyways. So I have no problem if at some point they have to cut, cut ties with him. Um, the issue, of course, is that draft pick that they lost, which I think that that's going to that's always frustrating, um, especially when you don't get much production out of the guy. So hopefully he turns it around and can and can provide something of value. Um, I do think, you know, I don't think there's much to show that Fowler's going to turn it around. Um, I, I could speculate as to what his problems are, but I, I don't really know. Um, I would guess health related. Um, but yeah. again, it's pure speculation just because it seems like his eye's okay. I, it, to me, it just feels like the bat is slower. Um, yeah. Anyways, between Cecil and Holland, as, as far as turning it around, you know, they're relievers, so they're so up and down, anyways. And I'm going to pick Holland just because I think of this, like you said, with Cecil, the switch could come on at some point, but then he has less time to ruin it after the switch comes on. Because he's gone after this year. Yeah. And, and so, you know, if he can get hot for two months, maybe we remember the two months. I, Cecil might get hot for a year, but then he might suck for the last year of his contract, and we'd remember that, you know, at the end, he sucked. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I kind of a cop out. I'm taking Holland for both. He's probably the easy answer, but, yeah, whatever. And our last one, um, let me pull this back up. I have to find it. We got this during the show on Twitter. So, Good Life Sean, uh, Sean Gransky, asked if, um, so he said it seemed like we had a recipe for success following like 2004 um, or maybe 2006 up until 2015. It's widely known, you know, this millennium for the Cardinals has been really, really successful. Um, It seems like. Uh, it, well, it says it seems to him that they still try to put the same type of team on the field now and that it's not working as much in today's MLB like it did 10 years ago. Um, so, like, has 
basically, has the St. Louis formula changed, or are the teams doing it better than we are now? We seem to get, we seem to be getting passed by with that model. And so I'll take this one first. I do think the formula has changed. I think previously, um, while Jockety was much more go buy your major league talent on the open market, um, whether via trade or via free agency. And we very rarely, I think, saw prospects kind of come up and stay uh, with the Cardinal system. Now it seems like you know most of the roster was drafted or at least primarily developed in the St. Louis farm system. So the, I, I think the formula has changed. They don't. I don't think they spend relative to their revenue like they used to. Um, even in the early Mosaic years, they were up around 50 or so percent of revenue. Right now, they're closer to 40. You know, the low 40s. So there's, there's a gap there. Um, so like, if you know, if revenue is 300 million, they used to spend 150. Now they're spending more, like 140. So maybe there's a little bit of a gap there. Um, and and I do think that. You know, Alex Rodriguez had a segment that now famously on Twitter, Jennifer Lopez appeared to help him with, that when Moneyball first came out, or, you know, when Moneyball first started, like with, with the Oakland A's, there was only one person doing it. Billy Bean and maybe a couple others, um, you know, Theo Early in Boston, they were, they were going one way while the rest of the league was still going another. Now have that advantage. There's 30 teams trying to do the same thing. Uh, you, you see it play out on the free agent market where guys who are good players struggle to get deals because teams don't want to give a guy who's going to be worth $18 million $18 million. Um, yeah, that, yeah. That's about league average right now. They don't want to do it. And so you're, you're just not seeing the same kind of bargain deals or bounce back deals that you used to see where other teams were looking at worse information than you. They're almost all looking at the same. Um, there, you know, maybe there's something in kind of the big data that MLB has now, where teams can maybe gain an advantage. But again, as long as you have the people in your organization asking the right questions and the people that work through that data, which a lot of these, you know, they're bringing in guys with PhDs in, in math that have, you know are doing computer science. Um, even there, it seems like teams are mostly on a level playing field. There seem to be certain teams that are better at it than others. Houston Astros, um, you know, Jeff Luno, formerly of the Cardinals, seems to be great at finding value right now where other teams aren't. The Dodgers are another team where it seems like they find these unheralded, kind of washed-up guys and like Max Muncy and turn him into something. Maybe that's luck. Maybe it's not. Um, but, yeah, I, I do think, you know, the Cardinals, they lost that information advantage. And if – if they're not going to spend, um, and not just spend, but if you know if they're not spending wisely, then they don't have an advantage anymore over the rest of the league. Yeah, I don't really have much to add to that. Um, I think that this was, if anyone's interested in listening to this at all, I think this was might have been discussed on Bernie Miklas's and Will Leach's Seeing Red podcast. Um, the, today's June 19th. It was discussed by like every show on 101 ESPN. Um, I'm not going to really add to what you said because I agree. Um, everyone's smart now. You just have to, you have to find that new market inefficiency and hope the Cardinals can do that. Um, and I think they, I think they're on to something with 
and this is a little plug if uh, you're listening Michael Gersh I think they're on to something with this pitching lab down in uh, Jupiter that they're supposedly creating so maybe they're they're getting a little more creative maybe they're trying to find that new inefficiency and I and I hope they can um, I just think like you said earlier it's going to be a lot harder because every team has all these really smart people on their staff now so instead of being laps ahead of other teams they're going to be footsteps ahead of other teams uh as they they develop and and grow in their technology so i'm excited uh to see what they can do uh but i i don't know i i liked it more when they were were ahead of the pack i think just kind of last plug here i think the next kind of information advantage we're going to see is less about looking at metrics and looking at data and saying what is this guy doing and instead saying this is what he has but what can we change or what can we tweak to get him to improve so Adam Adovino, uh, Eno Saris will plug the, you know, his work on The Athletic Adam Adovino worked this offseason to develop kind of a, I think it's kind of a gyro ball. He called, I think maybe he calls it a cutter, but it's yeah. something that splits the difference between his fastball that really runs to his arm side and his slider, which really breaks to his glove side. It's, um, I think, Houston Astros with Garrett Cole, they found, you know, some way, maybe it was, maybe it's mechanical, maybe it's substance based, that <laughs> has boosted. You know Garrett Cole's spin rate on his fastball. I, I've seen some things talking about maybe they're getting him to work up in the zone more often, and that even in Pittsburgh when he threw high fastballs, he had higher spin rates, and it was just a matter of kind of focusing on that four-seamer and, and the location of it. Um, Trevor Bauer thinks it's Pintar. I don't know. Um, but I, I think that's going to be – I think that's where you're going to find the advantages because if everybody's looking at the same information – what can you do to unlock something that's there? Um, Marcel Lozuna this year, um, for the first two months of the season, he had reverted back to an old habit. He was still hitting the ball hard, but he was hitting it on the ground. Um, and he, you know, he, the power that he unlocked last year was totally gone. Um, now yep. he's gotten, you know, back into something that it looked like the Marlins had him doing last year. Um, kind of getting in a more athletic hitting position. And since he did that um, kind of back, he publicly said something about it, I think, on the very first day of June or maybe the very last day of May. Um, but since then, he's been on fire. Some of that's just a random hot streak, but I think some of that is a mechanical change. And that's, I think, what you're going to see is you're going to have to find players who are doing something that makes them either doing something that's kind of holding them back or not doing something that would put them ahead. You're going to have to somehow find that and unlock it and you know i think that's where there's you know this big nerd versus scout debate um in baseball and i think that there if you can blend those two whoever blends those two the best those are the teams that are going to take off over the next three to five years i would say yeah and i think we were already seeing that with the astros um i think the athletics had pieces where they've had their smart people go try to be scouts and have their scouts see what they're they're really smart people are doing and and they're already so like you said i mean they obviously had a head start with 
all of those first like top five picks um not every team's going to be able to do that the cardinals are not going to be able to do that if they tanked like st louis might not be in existence um anymore but i think exactly what you just said is is there's going to have to be a blending of the of the two pillars per se and you're going to need and if the blending isn't there you're going to need translators but not like literary translators but someone who can be the go-between between the two and because there's a lot to unlock between scouting i scouting is not a lot like it, it's not useless anymore but when you can combine it with the data when you can combine it with stuff you see on a rap soda then you can combine it with that kind of stuff it's crazy how much more you can do and i think we're in to end today i think that's exactly what we're seeing with the houston astros this year so we'll call it a wrap. Um, thank you guys for listening, especially if you made it all the way through. I think we went a little bit longer than we had intended to. Thanks for sticking with us. I hope you guys found it interesting. Thank you, Joe, for taking your time um, to join me today for Birds on the Black. Um, you know, shout out to your work on the Athletic STL. Um, the people following you, I'm sure if they're listening to this, they follow you on Twitter. But if not, at STL Cup of Joe um, on Twitter. And then the Athletic STL site, and for me, Birds on the Black. Thanks, guys, and enjoy your night.